Place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand. Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Those words that we hear in courtrooms whenever a witness is sworn in are directly tied to the ninth commandment which we are focusing on this morning. In all probability, the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, had as a big part of its original purpose assuring truth in the law courts. Few of us have probably ever taken the witness stand in a court of law, but we stand as witnesses whenever and wherever we talk about others and others' situations. And so, in its more universal intent, the Ninth Commandment applies to every one of us, even though we might feel like the man who showed up for church one Sunday when the weather was horrible, turns out he was the only one who showed up, other than the minister, And when the minister noticed this, he decided to to scrap his sermon and preach on the Ten Commandments because he knew the flaws in this particular guy. And when he got to a couple of the commandments, he really let him have it. And after the sermon was over, the man complimented the minister and said, that was a great sermon. He said, there's just one problem. The people who needed to hear it weren't here today. Friends, that man is probably every one of us precisely when it comes to the Ninth Commandment. We almost always can think of someone else who can use the corrective guidance of the Ten Commandments more than we can. But as Jesus said, we need to stop worrying about what is keeping another from seeing clearly and focus from what is hindering our sight. Remember Jesus said, you can't remove the speck from your neighbor's eye until you take the log out of your own. Each of us needs to embrace this ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness as it applies to all aspects of our lives. And that's why Jesus could build upon it in our gospel lesson which Jim read for us. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think we do that pretty well in general. It's just that, it's just that, that one person or a few people who have really gotten to us. And we have justified in our mind that they deserve to be treated differently. And I don't mean positively. To love the world for me is no chore. My only real problem is the neighbor next door. So wrote Anonymous. And of course the neighbor is anyone who touches the circumference of our own world. A little girl named Annie, who was really upset with her mom, 
she yelled out of her room. She said, how do you spell the word hate? Her mom realized she was really upset. And a minute later, she yelled out of her room, how do you spell love? And the mom was relieved, thinking that she had come to her senses. A little later, she received a little note from her daughter. It said, dear mom, I hate you. Love, Annie. Love and hate. Love and liking. Love and hurt aren't always so easy to deal with in a particular moment or experience of our life. Yet Jesus knew the truth that hatred and negative attitudes toward others is not healthy. And over time it does more to hurt the one doing the hating than it does the hated. Hatred nurtured is suicide prolonged. Preacher Harry Emerson Fosdick once said, Hating people is like burning down your house to get rid of a rat. Hate does more to harm the vessel in which it's stored than to the one on which it's poured. Here again, that front section of our Exodus passage that Jim read. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with the wicked to act as a malicious witness. You shall not follow a majority in wrongdoing when you bear witness in a lawsuit. You shall not side with the majority so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to the poor in a lawsuit. Do you see why Jesus said, don't hate your enemy, but love your enemy? He was taking it all a step further. You shall not spread a false report, says verse 1 of our text. You shall not bear false witness, says the ninth commandment. Whether it's out of hate, feeling threatened, hurt, or inferior, it is not appropriate to talk about another any other unfairly. And we call that gossip. Gossip. What we say about others, all others, is what the crux of this sermon is all about. A man, a man enjoyed all the gossip going on around, and he joined in regularly. When his wife became angry with all his tale-telling, he replied, I'm not a gossip, I'm a news analyst. Or as another woman said, I make it a point never to say anything about anybody unless it's good. And let me tell you about the Joneses. Boy, is this really good. <laughs> Wise people talk about ideas, concepts, principles, values, and the depths of the realities of life. Mediocre people talk mostly about things and the stuff of their lives, their toys, their trips, and their things. And small people talk mostly about other people. So why is it that what we hear never sounds half as important as what we overhear? 
Gossip is the art of saying nothing in a way that leaves nothing left unsaid, and so it appears to be important. Truth and truly important things are so fuzzy in today's world that it's almost as if it's okay to go along with lies of all sorts. You know the old expression, a little white lie never hurt anybody. Well, lies aren't even little anymore. They're huge. It's amazing the gossip we find rampant even in the media, especially in the media. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Oh, yeah? Really? Who says? Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words? Oh, words can kill. Nothing in this world has caused more damage and hurt than words. A number of years ago, this appeared in, remember Ann Landers? I kept this in my files for a, a day, just such as today. She shared this piece. It's called Remember Me. Remember me. My name is Gossip. I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength with age. The more I am quoted, the more I am believed. I flourish at every level of society. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no name and no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I'm nobody's friend. Once I tarnish a reputation, it's never quite the same. My name is Gossip. A woman in a small town went around the community saying that a certain man was drunk the night before and she based her decision on the fact that his car was in front of a tavern all night. So the next night, he parked his car in front of her house. <laughs> As Will Rogers said, the only people who dislike gossip are those when you gossip about them. And the other odd thing about gossip is that if you asked everyone, if I asked every one of you, are you a gossip? Your answers would lead me to conclude that there are no gossips anywhere in the world. Yet, as I said earlier, this of all the commandments hits most of us right in the dailiness of our lives. In locker rooms, dining rooms, grocery stores, at the hairdressers, parking lots, on Twitter, texting, Facebook, emails. You get the gist. Discrimination and certain jokes which discriminate are expressions of bearing false witness, no matter how innocent they seem to be. A gossip is a person with a, with a strong sense of rumor. A strong sense of rumor. So much of what passes as rumor or humor is thought to be harmless. And yet, once they take flight and gain momentum, as I've been trying to say, 
they can do great harm. Trying to dispel a rumor is like trying to unspread butter. Talking about another with even the slightest negative spin causes damage. Talking bad about another may make you feel a little better about yourself. At least I'm not like so-and-so. I mean, who did such and such, we might say. But that is a lousy way of feeling better about yourself. And besides, it's temporary. Saying something bad or repeating something you've heard that's negative just isn't necessary. Even though it's human to want to get even or to get at someone you want to hurt because they hurt you, it may seem to help in the short term, but it's only a quick fix that in the long run actually makes things worse. The negative spin on another, no matter how subtle, causes us later to not connect with that person. And it makes us not want to connect with that person. And the spiritual life is all about connecting. Connecting, not disconnecting. So while trying to tarnish the character of another, even if only ever so slightly, it is your own that is tarnished. The Talmud says, the slanderous tongue kills three. The slandered, the slanderer, and the one who listens to the slander. Or as an old quip puts it, the one who throws mud loses ground. Think about it. The one who throws mud loses ground. I know of a minister who had a troublemaker in his congregation. We don't have those here, but um, the man was born in the objective mood, and he never got over it. He considered it his divine calling to lead the opposition no matter which direction the church decided to go. And one day, the minister, particularly disturbed by the man, reminded a friend that Jesus said we should love our enemies. But how can we, said the man, love somebody like that? Christians, love, replied the minister, is not fondness. It is not how you feel. Christian love is what you do. What you do. Hear Jesus again from Matthew, Matthew with words we may not exactly like, yet nonetheless are so true. You've heard that it was said you should, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to shine on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Not even the tax collectors, you know, the people we don't like. Even they do the same thing. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, or as the text says, be whole, be complete, as God, as 
God is complete together and whole. Lorraine Hansberry, in her book, A Raisin in the Sun, puts these poignant words in the mouth of a character who's lived a lot of life. When do you think is the time to love somebody the most? When they done good and made things easy for everybody? Well, then you ain't. You ain't through learning because that ain't the time at all. It's when she's at her lowest and can't believe in herself because the world done whipped her. When you start measuring somebody, measure her right, child. Measure her right. Make sure you done taking into account what hills and valleys she came through before she got to wherever she is. You see, none of us knows what another person has been through, really. And we certainly can't pretend to know the full extent of their struggle in their interior life. And God's Son rises on everyone anyway. Good and bad alike, and the rain too. And when we love others precisely in their sin, when they are most dislikable, when they are difficult, when they've done us wrong, it is then that we can have some semblance of divine love in us. If you can learn to love everything, you will begin to see the divine mystery in life. And once you perceive it, you'll begin to understand it better every day. And over time, you will come to love the whole world with an all-embracing love, which is exactly what God does. So don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When we are behaving as if we love someone, we will presently come to love that person over time. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking that person more and more. If you do that person a good turn, you will find yourself disliking that person less. It's a spiritual principle. It takes time and it takes practice. And friends, it's hard. In closing, I want to share a true story. Edwin Markham, one of my favorite poets, was at a very rough time in his life because he had put, this was a number of years ago, he had put money aside for his retirement. And on his retirement, he went to the bank to learn that his friend, who he had been a partner in business with, whom he had trusted 
had escaped with all the money and left him penniless. It was back before computers and routing numbers and all that stuff. Markham tried to write poetry again to earn a little money to live out on, but bitterness and resentment kept him from thinking clearly, and it was destroying his life. Finally, he dropped to his knees and poured out his resentment to God, and he prayed for the capacity to forget and forgive. Then he picked up his pen and he started to write again. And as he looked at the papers he had been scribbling on, he he saw circles that he had been drawing in his anguish and it inspired him to write these lines. He drew a circle that shut me out. Traitor, thief, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that took him in. Love your enemies, says Jesus. Be whole. Be complete like God. Complete the circle. Draw in those you don't even like. Because when you speak ill of another and try to lower how others might see them, remember, it's a reflection on yourself. Wanting others to to dislike somebody because you do, or wanting someone to wallow in their own muck because they deserve it, it may make you feel better, but it says more about you than it does the other. So, Before you go on thinking negatively about somebody, before you say anything negative, just remember, whose character is it, really? Yours. Because it's not theirs you're tarnishing. It's your own. Amen.